1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy and uh apologize for last week. We did not have a show. I was hoping to do one either for the first round or before the first round of the NFL Draft. I came down with a bug. Wasn't feeling well. Uh, didn't want to have to subject people to hearing me sound terrible. So we missed out that week, but we're back this week. And I think we have a good show planned. I am uh, slow sipping this uh PBR. I've been uh, been on a PBR kick, so I'm gonna drink one of those while we talk some Buckeye football, some NFL draft stuff today. Should be a good show. And I want to kick things off with Bud Elliott. Bud, thanks for joining us. Uh, Bud is one of our national recruiting analysts, and specifically this weekend, Bud, you were looking at, and I know you tweeted about this, kind of the NFL draft, how it correlates with uh, with the recruiting rankings that we put up. So I want to get into some of that. But first off, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Right, good to see you again, man.
0: I, yeah, I'm uh, excited to get on here and chat. And hello, Bucknutters, if I'm doing it right. There you go.
1: There you go. The Biddle loves that. The buck nut, Hello, <laughs> Bucknutters. Um, okay, so let's start out with talking about the recruiting rankings in general, because I think people see them, they, they understand the basic idea behind them. But we do it a little bit differently than other sites do, I know. So, as someone who's kind of been behind the scenes, for people that don't know how these rankings are formulated, can you kind of take them into the, the behind-the-curtain look of, of where our rankings come from?
0: Sure. So, uh, our, our rankings team is headed up by Andrew Ivans. You know, we we have Cooper Patagna as well, Chris Singletary. I mean, guys who have you know pretty extensive scouting experience, guys who have you know worked in recruiting departments or uh, you know, in Cooper's case, run a recruiting department, right? And, and, like, got guys who have real experience there on that side of things, and you know, plus guys like a Greg Biggs and, you know, Steve Wilfong, Brandon Huffman, who have covered the sport for, you know, 15, 20 years and understand, you know, oftentimes, not that the guy's guaranteed to, to you know, be something awesome, but what does a future pro look like at 15? What does it look like at 16 or, or 17? So, like, just – from kind of start to finish, and we will take the, the huddle tapes out there, right? And go through, okay, like this guy had a bunch of yards. How did he, how did he get it, right? Like, okay, maybe he plays terrible competition and it's kind of a gimmick offense and maybe he doesn't look all that great. Uh, maybe he actually does stand out. So we'll put him kind of in one pile. So that you have the film component, right? You gotta have the film and you have to have the projectability uh, component, right? Which means you need to not just be a good player now, But we need to think if we're going to put high grades on you that you're going to put a really, really good product on the field later on in your college career and be somebody who is very attractive to the NFL as well. So you're projecting to grow. Right. Uh, And how do we figure that out? It's it's frame. It's family history. Right. Like if you had a dad and a brother who played in the NFL, that's probably going to we may bump you a point. Right. Just we're playing the odds. That's really what this is. Like we we are making educated guesses uh, at it and it's, it's not an exact science. I think there is some science to it and looking at the data, looking at testing, looking at prior comps, both in terms of like NFL bodies and what those NFL bodies looked at or look looked like at a certain age. Um, and from there, we, we kind of just try to figure out like who is going to be the best player w- when, when it comes time for that NFL draft, who, who has the highest upside, right? Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of what goes into it. And then, I mean, we have weekly meetings. Sometimes they're 90 minutes. Sometimes they're four hours, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's quite a bit of work as far as, as a group meeting it's, it's every Wednesday uh, and you know, there's haggling over players. Hey, like, I really believe in this guy. All right. Convince me like the, the data here on the, the testing data here is not quite as good. All right. Well, Hey, maybe you know, like I, because we're getting in-person evaluations, I, I was at that camp and they were running those forties, on grass and that's a laser 40 right so you have you know people who have have been in the industry for a long time who have able to eyeball this stuff and say hey, that that four or five may not be the same as that hand timed on a track four or five that that we're looking at right so um yeah i mean that's it's a complicated process 24 7 sports has been the most accurate six years running um, and the most accurate in the first round by a lot five years running so credit the rivals, they had a tremendous 2018 uh, NFL draft that killed the first round. But six years in a row is, is pretty solid, and, and, and 24-7 sports invests a lot in this. I, I don't think anybody else has the size of, of recruiting evaluation staff that we do, right? I mean, Ivan's, Gabe, Patagna, Singletary, like Huff, Biggins, Blair. I, I, you know, our West Coast team is, I think, blows away everybody else. I, I, in the country. Will Fung, Alan True, right? I mean, just so Brian Dome, like, like there's a lot of guys who know what the heck they're talking about. And so I think we do a pretty good job getting eyeballs on kids and seeing them, seeing them multiple times in many cases, trying to get that verified data best we can, talking to sources, you know, talking to schools. Hey, like, why haven't you offered this kid? He's local. What are we missing? But there's a lot of components to it. And it's, it's not exact science. We, we try to do some you know, some science with it, I
1: guess. I just want to throw this comment up here from Travis Marshall. He says, "Love Bud Elliott. Cover three podcast is the best." So, oh, cool, man! Thank shout you. out to you there, Bud, and and the work you do. Your podcast is great. Um, let's continue on this. So, let's. You, you mentioned the the six years in a run, six years running, uh, being the most accurate in terms of projecting for where guys end up in the NFL. Let's look at this year's draft. Um, kind of take us through where we hit. I think it was more hits than misses, but what, what worked, what didn't for this year's class that just got drafted this past weekend?
0: Sure thing. So I'll, excuse me, I'll, I'll pull this up here. Uh, 24 seven sports is on a really ridiculous run of hitting on five stars. I mean, and a run that I'm not sure is sustainable by anybody like us, Mm -hmm. ESPN rivals on three, whatever. Right. Uh, I just don't think. So 45 guys from the last two classes have declared, Twenty-two of those forty-five five stars have been first-round picks. Like that's historically, that's an outlier historically. We can keep that up. That's uh, that's job security, baby. So um, look, they've done a really, really good job. Obviously, you know, like Barton was here. He, he's he's now the, the GM at Vanderbilt. So right. I um, first-round wins for us. So Peter Skarlati. That was a, a big-time Steve Will following Barton. They were huge fans of him. Uh, not often a five-star goes to Northwestern. He gets drafted in the first round. Uh, 24-7 Sports was the only five-star grade on him. Gabe Brooks fought hard to get a four-star grade on Tyree Wilson. Everybody else in the industry had him as a three-star. That looks pretty good for Gabe down there in Texas. Alan True, I believe, really liked Jack Campbell. 24-7 Sports was the only four-star grade on first-round pick Jack Campbell. Uh, also, were the highest grades on Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Paris Johnson Jr. There you go. Yep. Uh, Jalen Carter, Jameer Gibbs, Emmanuel Forbes, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, again, yep. and Jordan Addison. So, uh, 24/7 Sports did have the most first round hits by a lot, almost as much as almost as many as the other, uh, the other two networks combined, which was great this year. And I think that's impressive too because every network's improving. Right. Yeah. like No, everybody's better at this than they were back in 2010 because of a variety of factors that we, we can get into if you want. But um, it, it is the,
1: the whole industry is getting more accurate over time. When you look at like a Bryce Young, for instance, that's a guy who the, the NFL's kind of shifted a little bit in terms of the way that that they look at quarterbacks. A few years ago, a guy like that's not getting drafted because of his height and his hands and all that. How then do you project him three years ago as a guy who could be, you know, the number one? Yeah, I think he was the number one overall recruit in our, our, our rankings, right? So how does that project when you also have to figure out what the NFL is doing?
0: So it's a really good question. Um, we, obviously, we use the NFL as our grading rubric yeah. for how we evaluate the rankings. And people are like, well, why don't you use college success? All right, define college success. Lucas Van Ness was a backup for Iowa, and he just got picked in in, in the teens in the first round, yeah. right? Like he didn't make any all like national or me all American type teams. Some of these guys that play in these like super spread offenses are going to have a million yards, but maybe aren't that great. Like are we gonna? It, it's very tough to grade. The one thing that is is consistent with the grading is the NFL draft. But to your point, there are trends with the NFL draft from year to year uh, that make it tougher to to do that right and so do you try to fit your rankings to like what you project the nfl draft will go to i i don't think you really can because part of this stuff is driven by the cba for instance like cba collected bargaining agreement we used to see occasionally more guards go in the first round now we don't because the franchise tag for a guard is a lot less a lot less than it is for a tackle so if you're drafting for value in the first round it makes more sense to shoot your shot on a tackle because you get that fifth, the the fifth year, cheap fifth year option on the first rounder and getting a tackle in free agency is extremely expensive and sometimes just not available at all. Whereas you can get guards in free agency a lot. So I don't think that you need to be trying to like retrofit your ranking in terms of like the numbers of five stars you put in what you think will happen with the NFL in four years. I think you need to, to think, which guys do we think the NFL will, will believe are the best talents in four years? Who who projects to be like the freaks of the freaks, the highest upside guys? To your point on Bryce Young, if you're going to take a kid who's 5'11 and a half or whatever he is at quarterback and, and say, yeah, that stamp him as the number one overall guy. When you have DJ sitting there, who's an excellent prospect as well and, and, and was a top five prospect for everybody, that, that takes a lot of conviction. And I think it was just the incredible high school production. The fact that he passed the ball like a robot. I mean, just everything was like, like, okay, laser, laser, laser. You can walk it over and just teleport the ball. <laughs> Almost these guys, the size didn't seem to hamper the arm strength. Like he had good velo. The delivery was not long. He really knew where to go with the ball. It threw with anticipation, pretty mature kid. Seemed pretty unflappable. Didn't have an injury history I don't think we're going to see a lot of quarterbacks under six foot being number one overall. And I'm, I'm obviously glad where Bryce got picked, uh, but that's, and I wasn't here when, when, we put that on, I, I was at, with another network and certainly, I mean, that was, I would say it was obvious. It was obvious he was a top five guy. I think having, having the gumption to put a number one should be you know, a, a credit to the staff that was here. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to do that. Right. Cause you got other guys who look prettier on the hoof,
1: Right. When you are evaluating a kid who then commits to a school that has like, let's take Ohio state for, for conversation wide receivers that commit to Ohio state. How much does that change the conversation as you continue to rank these kids? As you know, you look at it as Ohio state produces wide receivers these last few years, as well as anybody does, does that even factor in once a kid commits or is it still the the process you were describing earlier? So I, I don't think that it should.
0: Personally. And and, like, I, I will tell you like straight up in our our meetings, like he just committed to Ohio state. Let's bump him. is not a thing that's said. Okay. Right. Now. Same time. Like if you guys follow my, my betting stuff, like if you don't consider all the potential like signals in the market, you're going to lose. And I think if you don't consider offers and real interest in making your recruiting evaluations, not as a, not as a driving factor, not as, hey, Ohio State offered this kid, we need to bump him. It's not that. It's, hey, this guy's getting a lot of interest from big-time schools. Do we need to revisit? Do we like our grade? Was there something we missed? How many, Like, Let's check our notes. How many times have we seen this kid, okay? So, Ivan's just seen him. Brian Doan's seen him in person. Here's the data we have on him, right? Do, did something happen over the summer? Did something happen in in spring during track season? Did, did he throw up a ridiculous you know 100-meter time, right? Did he... Like, did he ball out at a school camp that we were or we're, you know, were not out? Let's let's call the guys at Bucknest to see how he did at Ohio State's camp over the summer. Like, I think your rankings will be less accurate if you ignore sort of the, the market input that in the market in this place or in this case is the marketplace of offers, right? And people throw out offers all the time. Some aren't real, some aren't. So if you if you know staffs and you have people on the staffs and you can ask them, like, hey, who do you really want? Like, like who's like, is this kid a take for you guys? Because a lot of schools throw out a lot of offers and they're not, they're not all takes, right? So sometimes you got to throw out an offer just to kind of placate the kid until you're ready to actually accept the commitment. I think if you're not using like what really successful staffs are and, like what they want, and you're not at least using that to check your stuff and say, hey, like, are we confident with this three-star grade here? When you know these last four national champions really want this kid. Are we missing something? And you know what? Sometimes we are confident with a low grade on that kid because those four staffs may like that guy a lot because he's going to be a good college player or a really useful college player. Like maybe he's a great program fit guy. Maybe his dad was a college coach or a prominent high school coach. And so we'll stick with that grade. You know, but I, I would say people are like, oh, we committed to X school. They're going to bump him. That that does not come up. If you're considering market influences, like you're looking at it way before that. Okay. Who really wants this guy? Let's make sure we double check.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, going back to, to this year's draft specifically, were there guys that surprised you based on where they were ranked, where you guys kind of evaluated them? Um, you know, be it first round, you know, either way, be it guys that were, you expected to go higher guys, you expected to go lower. Wh- where did that kind of stand with with what our rankings were at?
0: Sure. So um I'll just go over some competitor wins and, and some of our losses. Sure, we, we we were the we were the low man on uh, Anton Harrison, the, the first round tackle, the last pick of the first round, I think, or, or close to it, uh, out of uh, out of the D.C. area. He went to Oklahoma and ended up being a pretty good player. Uh, we were slightly low on Mozzie Smith, the Michigan defensive tackle, who went, you know, fairly late in the first, right? And uh, we were the lowest on Nolan Smith, although. I think that's actually the best grade because he went 31st or 30th or something like that. And several, several outlets had him one or two. And I think, I think 24 seven sports had him four. So uh, for the most part in the first round this year, the industry misses were misses that I'm not sure you can completely correct for. Uh, and this is, this is one of the things like I, I look at how, how we do, our rivals does how ESPN does, and in two years we'll start to look at on three when they actually have rankings that have been out for a while, right? Because they just started. I want to see like when we're missing on guys, it's dudes that you probably shouldn't have had grades on, or probably should not have had good grades on based on what you could have known at the time. So Devin Witherspoon, guy from Pensacola, basketball kid, late to football, does play really well. So I think that's probably on us for not having some kind of grade on him. However, no school thought he was going to get in school because of academics. He's already on campus at his junior college when he gets his SAT score in August. Illinois finds out. They still have a spot. They take the flyer on the guy. He goes fifth overall in the draft. Yeah, Dalton Kincaid, basketball kid, plays one year of high school football because, as he said, his buddies begged him to come out and try it out. <laughs> he was 188 pounds, he goes to the University of San Diego, walks on to football. Now, it helps, Patrick, if you gain 45 pounds in two years, you can transfer to a power five school like Utah and catch 17 passes for 241 yards against USC and go 26th overall. Like, that's, you know, that's pretty solid. Right. A Keon White, Keon White gained 70 pounds after enrolling in Old Dominion. He was a tight end. Then It was an all-ACC defensive tackle at Georgia Tech, like, Cody Mock, the North Dakota State kid that you see with all the teeth knocked out in the front, he gained almost 90 pounds. He, walk, he walked on at FCS. So we had two, not only FCS guys, FCS signees, we had two FCS walk-ons go in the top 60 picks in the draft this year because they transformed their body. If I sat in our meeting and said, hey, I'm projecting this kid to gain 70 pounds in college, they'd be like, bud, you've had too much of the happy hour of Patrick. Like, stop drinking at work. This is that, That's not a reasonable projection. So. There were not a lot of like – there weren't a whole lot of dudes in the first round who were three stars who should have been bumped to four. And I think as an industry, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about C.J. Stroud just because his recruitment, I think, has always been interesting, at least to Ohio State people. Came on the scene late, um, you know, kind of blossomed late in high school and and was seen at some of these camps in the summer. You know, the story goes that the wide receivers – they were already committed to Ohio State, came back to Brian Hartline and the rest of the staff, and were like, hey, we need this kid, even though they had Jack Miller committed. A lot of talk about him going into the draft. He's, what was he, number 29 in, in the 2020 recruiting class, I think? Um,
0: uh, yes, and, and 24-7 Sports was the high man on him, the, the only one who stamped him with the five-star.
1: Yeah, so a guy like that, and you can just use CJ's example or if you have other guys – who kind of come on to the scene late or emerge late in the process, but then show that potential? How how does the change in their grade kind of work in in those circumstances?
0: So th- this is a great question and something that I've been banging the drum on since I got here. Right, is that my analysis shows the least efficient part of the rankings historically has been sort of that two hundred to three hundred fifty range. Okay, and I think and 24 seven sports has gotten a lot better at this and hopefully I'm not giving away the secret sauce of competitors who are watching but i think partially partially it was sort of like oh shoot now what what's the what, what's there's a term for this uh not confirmation bias but it, it's kind of like first actor bias like you put a grade on a kid especially an early grade like based off his freshman year or a sophomore and you're not willing or just not like following through on dropping him far enough, right? Yeah. So, like, to me, there was some smoothing of the results where you were seeing guys rated 200 get drafted kind of similar range to, to a dude who's like 350. Whereas there was a lot of signal in the rankings on like 200 and up. So, it's like, why? Well, maybe they weren't getting dropped out of the top 247 often enough, right? Because at some point, if you threw four stars on the kid, you definitely like this guy a lot. and. If you're 350, you're probably still pretty close to a four-star, right, in most cases, or you, you may be, depending on the network. I I think you have to be willing to reevaluate and say, like, who's the best player right now, or more accurately, who projects the best right now, not two years ago. And I think that's a credit to the guys who were ranking at the time here, uh, many of whom are still here, by the way, obviously, yeah. that they said, hey, like, we need to bump the Stroud kid. He's better than the other players.
1: When you look ahead um, to you know some of the kids that are either on campus, young kids uh, guys that maybe are, are currently being recruited are there guys that at least from your perspective from some of the meetings you guys have had that okay this guy looks like future first rat you know some some names that that fans can kind of keep an eye on here obviously they can look at the rankings and see that but just while we've got you some names for future NFL drafts that that guys are, everybody can pay attention to and and kind of see how we do that.
0: Sure. So um, I'll I'll just start with one that I know will make Buckeye fans happy, but I've seen this kid in person a number of times and and he's, he's pretty damn impressive. That's Jeremiah Smith. Um, So I think he's cousins of Geno Smith, the Seahawks quarterback who was really good uh, for Miramar and and then at West Virginia. Uh, I didn't see Julio Jones in person in high school. That was, that would have been 2006, I think 2007, he's probably the closest thing to that. Now I talked to Jeremiah and he told me like, I don't really like the Julio comparison. I'm, I'm my own guy. I'm like, all right, well, in fairness, bro, that's an NFL hall of famer, probably first ballot type guy. What we're comparing you to. So if you, if your career works out that good, I, I think you'll, I think you'll take it. And it's like, all right, if you had to pick some, he's all right, more Devonte Adams. I said all right, that's fair. Um, he's huge. You know, 6'3", 200 looking guy. He moves, uh, in my opinion, much better than that, uh, both in terms of his, you know, the top end, I think he's pretty good. He is uh, very competitive times in the state of Florida with 110 meter hurdles. If you're that big and your hurdles fast in Florida, that's a great sign as to, as to how quick you are. Yeah. I was at Battle Miami uh, shooting some vertical video for the 24-7 Sports Channel and, and for the cover three YouTube. And he plays on Express, which Ohio State fans, seven-on team, are probably pretty familiar with. They, they were not throwing the ball like at all, and I, I knew what they were doing. I mean, they were trying to get trying to get shine for, for their other kids. And I went to their OC. and I was like, "Hey, kind of close to the end of the day. Can you can you just force feed Jeremiah the ball? I'll just I'll stand here and I'll I'll, I'll shoot just him, so I can just get some close-up clips, and we'll put it out there." And they did. And uh, four plays in a row. And there's another kid who is a good player and will probably end up being a draft pick. And we have like a top 200 player. He's a corner He's committed to a, to a, you know, power, like a big time power five school. Dude, it was not competitive. He destroyed this kid four straight reps, And it was, you know, it was deep speed. It was agility. Stop, start. One was just a crazy one-handed catch that he just went down and got. I was like, Oh, wingspan time. Watch this kind of go, go gadget arms to, to date myself there, I guess. <laughs>
1: um, I know that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was just stupid to watch. It's like, okay, like, do I love putting a receiver second overall? It's not my call, obviously. It's the team's call. Like, historically, no. There's not a lot of guys who go top two at at receiver, but he's really damn good, and I'd I'd be surprised if he's not not a top pick, honestly.
1: Let me ask, just because you're talking about receivers there, and obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., he was a guy who was coming up during draft coverage. Um, Not a guy who was rated as highly by us as what people are projecting him to do next year in in your eyes if you remember what what was it about Marvin Harrison that maybe didn't stand out then that does now that has kind of made the difference for him based on the evaluations at the time
0: I think he's much faster than the times that we had verified for him in high school okay just flat out like I, I think he's more explosive looking now so either he did speed training private or Ohio state developed him or, 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 however that happened. I mean, like he was a, obviously a really good player in high school. And I'm looking back to what we had him, by the way, we should note this was the, uh, this was the COVID class. Sure. So yeah. I am expecting that the entire industry will be for this one class, a lot less accurate next year. Makes sense. Because you had a lot of places that didn't play ball. You had a lot of places that played ball a little bit, uh, Started late. We had a lot fewer summer camps. Some schools didn't have summer camps. We didn't have like a lot of verified data. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're going to be back to like 2007 levels of accuracy. But I think the 2021 class, which was the the COVID summer, I think will be the least accurate that we've had in in quite some time, to be frank. Because you you didn't get eyeballs on these guys. You didn't. You weren't out there at nearly as much. I mean, towards the end of the summer, sure, some and some guys had senior seasons, Uh, but the guy's incredible. And I think he actually has improved a bit. I do wonder if the ranking would have been different if we had a normal summer. Yeah. I, I don't know, possibly, but like across the industry, I'm not trying to use, give us a cop out. I, just, I looked ahead and I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, we're, we're all going to want some of these back, but I guess sure. you know a lot of people want stuff back from that time period.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, bud. Well, thank you very much. Um, I think this okay. was informative for people just on how this all works and, you know, I think it's good to kind of toot our own horn a little bit when uh, when we get some of these right. So I wanted to have you on to, to kind of go through that. And I think you gave great insight into how this all works. So I, I very much appreciate it. Dude, enjoy it, man. Yeah. Right. We'll talk soon. Uh, thanks again. Yeah. See ya. And that was Bud Elliott, one of our uh, 247 Sports National Recruiting Analysts, um, who does, you know, like he mentioned, very dialed in on, on how this process all happens, how you get from these high school kids ranked highly to kids being drafted highly in the NFL. And and that's kind of the goal. Um, Not only do they want to be right in terms of what happens from high school to college, but then onto that next level. And and that's kind of how you see the two four seven sports rankings reflected down the road. uh, I believe, and I'm not, dialed in on recruiting like Bud or Bill Curlick or any of those guys. But I believe like five stars are t- tend to correlate to what they believe will be first round picks, so on and so forth. So we're going to talk some some Buckeyes in the NFL draft and, and even some of the undrafted free agent guys. Here in just a minute, we should be joined by Tim Hall, who has been a regular on this show. If you have any questions, if you're watching this live, um, I saw a couple came up in there. But if you have any questions, draft related, Buckeye related, whatever it may be, Feel free to throw them in, in the chat here, and I will try and answer some of those as we get to the end of this whole thing. But, uh, yeah, let's talk some draft with our friend, Timmy Hall from the Buckeye Show on 971 The Fan. Hi, Timmy. How are you? Hey, Patrick. Hey, Buckeye fans. How are we doing today? You know, it's a good day. It's it's Tuesday. I wish the weather were a little bit nicer in Columbus. It's May, and it still feels like it's, like, February sometimes. But uh, other than that, I can't complain. i um, Draft is in the books. Is there anything – was there one thing that stood out to you the most coming from this weekend in terms of, of the Buckeyes in the draft? Well, I think, Pat, we just
2: – I think as fans, <laughs> we assume more of our guys will get drafted. Yeah, And I, and I think sometimes we just have some blinders on where we really can't see some of the imperfections that are there. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of the bigger fan bases go through that with their own players. Right. I think it's natural. We develop a bond with these guys. We love their stories. Right. Like, even though I'm not, I'm not going to say like, I can't understand how Mitch Rossi wasn't drafted. You know what I mean? But maybe when you get to like that cam Brown level of uh, prospect, that rocket Hickman level of prospect. And those are a couple of interesting guys actually touch on a little bit deeper especially someone like Ronnie Hickman but you know six guys drafted pretty good it's just that when you stack that up against Georgia and Alabama who just seem to get 10 minimum at this point in time you know that's that's kind of the bar that you're up against none of this really matters as to how you perform in college football because it's a blend, right? Like clearly, Ohio State is getting and recruiting enough of these guys that are eventually getting drafted, even having three in the first round. You got to look at that. So, even though there was only six total, and Dewan Jones and Luke Whippler slipped a little bit, having three first rounders is substantial, especially one guy being someone who didn't even play a whole lot of college football last season. So, those are just a, a couple of my first overall thoughts
1: on it, Pat. Yeah, the Luke Whipler one's interesting, and I know Dave Biddle talked about it on, on our other podcast on Monday, um, and I know he was tweeting about, you know, did he get bad advice? <laughs> yeah. and I, but I think that's always yeah. an interesting topic of conversation, right? Because from our perspective, we're looking at it, and it's like, well, you could have come back. You could have been the starting center another year at Ohio State. Maybe then you're a third-round pick um, instead of going late in the draft. I think. I you yeah, and I think there's probably some merit to that. But I also think there's the human component to it that we don't talk about enough where like Luke Whipler played three years of college football. He started for two years, you know, as a as a guy, maybe he was just ready to, to move on, you know. And I think when it doesn't work out, we criticize them for that. And this is only step one, right? There's still everything that's going to happen the rest of his career. He, he becomes the Browns center and is has a great career, then did he make a mistake because he was a late-round draft pick? I don't know. Probably yeah. not. It's like um, Corey Lindsley. I think he was a fifth-round pick. I think at the time, most people would have been like, no, eh, you probably could have come back another year. Um, I don't remember if Corey – I don't know if Corey had another year left or not, but just an example. I don't think he
2: did, but, no. yeah, that, that would be a good example. And, yeah, Corey would eventually become – would eventually sign the richest deal in NFL history for a center at the right. time, and then he backed it up with another big deal with the. Right. Uh, sorry, he doesn't play for the Rams. He plays for the Chargers. Not you're um, you're a your Rams guy. He yeah. plays for the Chargers, the other LA team.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. We
2: have we we do a yearly catch up with Corey Lindsley on the Buckeye show. I actually texted him last week just to say like the <laughs> annual hello. It's like hey, I, it's that time of year, Corey. Just wanted to check in and see that you're doing great. And he is like him and the family are doing well. And I'll probably reach up reach back with him in the next uh, couple of weeks
1: or so and have him on the show. Yeah. And I think the same can be said with DeWan Jones, not that maybe yeah. he got bad advice, but look, he slipped for some reason. Right. And I know there's been talk about the way too much when he went to meet with teams, not doing workouts at pro day. Um, you know, I don't know what made him slip. We can't, if you, you'd have to talk to each of those NFL teams that passed on him. I think you're hitting on
2: some of them right now,
1: Pat. Yeah, and those may be, but look again, if he goes out and performs, he was a guy who was doubted coming to Ohio state and went out and performed. So, you know, I think we have to remember that this is part one of the rest of these guys. And the same could be said for CJ Stroud, right? He's the number two overall pick. We heard all this talk beforehand, but if he doesn't go out and live up to the billing, as we've seen several high state quarterbacks do, then, you know, ultimately, what does that one one day, one pick mean for you? You know, you do get a, a better contract, I guess, out of the gates, but the real money comes down the road. Um, you mentioned and, and I want to touch on this, I just published a story right before we started recording this that, that has to do with this. Six guys, not bad. That's 10 years in a row. They've had at least five picked but this is the second season in a row that they've only had one defensive player selected. And I went back and looked at the numbers over those drafts before last year, they averaged 8.25 players selected. They had, let me get this here. So I make sure on the defensive side, 12 first round selections over that span at five that were top five picks and also three second round picks. I think if you want to see why Ohio State has not uh, not had as many draft picks the last two years, it's that defensive side of the ball, which is something that we talk about a lot, obviously. But I think you see that play out in the draft, and that is where things have to change. And right, I mean, the de- the defense has to get better on the field, and we did see it start to last year, but you'll see it play out on the field, and then in the draft when, when Ohio State starts to get these guys rolling again, don't you think?
2: No, I do, and those are some interesting numbers there that you just threw out there, Patrick, where you know defense is certainly something that Ohio State's got to get corrected, and I'm sure you've looked at these already, too, and you got to take them with a huge grain of salt because when we start pumping out mock drafts as soon as one draft finishes – Like there's a ton of names that we could go back and look at in the past on those day one mock drafts when like that year's draft just concludes and it doesn't look uh, to be really anywhere close to that. But there's some high hopes for Ohio State to crush it in the first round again. And there are defensive players this time around. You know, a couple of them on the defensive line – and I'm not even talking about getting to a guy like Jack Sawyer in this regard. It's really, you know, Jalen Tui and big stuff. Big stuff is being written about Mike Hall Jr. So mm-hmm. what we already saw from him, flashes of brilliance last year. And again, I'd, I'd put that with Jalen Tui So So this, this shouldn't be like a gift given to these two guys because they got to go out there now and prove it that they've got the motor and the stamina to do that every single Saturday. It can't just be one legendary Penn State game for Tui Molo out. It can't just be a couple of games here for Mike Hall Jr. And then his snap count goes down. It's got to be fast and furious all the time if you want to be a first-round draft pick. So, you know, and Tommy Eichenberg, I I still wonder, like, what his draft – like what round he might slot into just with the type of prospect he is. It's funny. We were talking about this on the show yesterday, not in terms of just Ohio state's defense overall, but when you start pegging these guys for the draft, the, uh, the linebacker position in the NFL now, because we got into a running back discussion. It kind of started with Zeke Elliott and the value of what you would pay for some of these guys and right. take, throw Travion Henderson into the mix too. Cause I've seen him on some first round mocks as well. So Maybe he could be one of the guys that scores a little bit more cash than the usual running back, but running backs and linebackers are pretty much at the bottom of the barrel in uh, value and what they can earn at the next level. So that's just, just an interesting sidebar as we look ahead. But yeah, Patrick, there there's a correlation there. No, no doubt about it when you talk about the defense and their production these last couple of years and the fact that you said, what, it's just been two in the last two drafts?
1: Two drafted? Is that what the number was? It- Tyreek Smith in the Seattle I fifth round to Seattle. Yep, and then Zach Smith this past year so this to is, Atlanta. This, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you make a good point. Look, we can project JT to a Malau, Michael Hall, uh, you know, whoever, whoever on the defense side, and same on the offense, but we've just seen the production on the offense. They have to go do it, which then translates into Ohio State being better on the field, and then these guys get drafted, right? So Look, there've been so this year's defense was better, but clearly when the NFL looked at the guys available, they didn't see anyone besides Zach Harrison that was worthy of of getting selected. Um I I also, you know, you look at Georgia. 10 guys drafted, 5 on offense, 5 on defense. That's probably a good indicator of a team that contended for a national title, right? Uh if you have that many guys drafted and it's split down the middle like that, uh, what I did find interesting, Michigan, only three guys drafted both of the last two years and they did have, you know, this, this was a good defense. Now I would have to dig a bit further to see, you know, maybe they just had a younger defense. I, you know, I'd have to go look at back at their roster and all that. But Well, they but did, did have Aiden Hutchinson
2: go pretty damn high last year. Yes, yes, so when they you did. start with one of the like best overall players in a draft class, that also changes the picture a little bit of we're going to sure. talk high end talent versus overall, but I mean, no, I mean that, that clearly is a thing. I think that also what you just said about Michigan paints the picture as to how you know, the, the recruiting classes have been climbing here lately. So I think there might be a delayed effect on this. Like you talk about like younger team, Michigan. I We looked at this recently too. They have not ranked outside of the outside of 17 now in their last five cycles, maybe six cycles, I want to say, and they're starting to get more traction. Of course, they took over the number one spot. I didn't uh, did it move, Patrick, with the with the running back commitment for 2024, or is Michigan still holding the top spot? I believe they're. I'm pulling it up. I
1: believe, yeah, they're still number one. But so there you go.
2: It's and they've they've been more consistently in the top 10 though finishing with these draft classes where Ohio State has always since the start of the Urban Meyer era even like a bad recruiting class would be 5th right top 5 top 3 they're just looking for that recruiting national championship but Michigan's been gaining a little bit so it might have a delayed effect but I also think how there's not a ton of guys being drafted can speak to why they're competing now better at the Ohio state or not at the Ohio state level, they're beating Ohio state. We know that the, the last two games, not breaking any news, but at the big 10 level, but they're also pretty far away from looking like they can knock down the door on a Bama or a Georgia type squad. Cause we've yeah. seen that. So here they're doing fine, but they're not really on that playing field at going to the next level. And we know here in Columbus that we're closer to doing that. If we can stop stubbing the toe and, you know, cause there's more, I think than just the recruiting power Going into the game, there's something more, I think, that's finally boiled over in the bellies of those athletes up there that's helped them, you know, and the the lack of defense for Ohio State. It's just been their ability to exploit the one or two pockets that are empty for Ohio State, and that's disappointing to see. And there is, yeah, there is a lot of NFL draft effect uh, for this.
1: Yeah, and to your point, You know, you look, Ohio State's one point off of Georgia. Now that was very much on the offensive side of things where Ohio State has been elite. And the NFL draft reflects that. Um, But, you know, say you have three NFL draft picks, you're probably playing for a national title as opposed to just having one guy. Um, And I do think, you know, we will see more. I also looked ahead at the recruiting classes because you go back to Urban Meyer's classes, the top of almost every class was at least two or three defensive guys. And that just hasn't been the case under Ryan Day until the 2022 class, which featured CJ Hicks, Sonny Styles, um, Kenyatta Jackson, and Amoria Bohr, I believe were four of the top five guys rankings-wise in that class. So we'll see how that all translates as these guys get on the field more. Uh, but you, you, you brought up the running back position. I think that's interesting. And then I'll come right back to this draft class. Um, we saw running backs go higher than we have uh Bijan Robinson being the the obvious example in the first round. Um, do you think that that shifts at all? Do you think that there is a, a shift back? I don't know about necessarily how much value you put in paying them, like you were saying, but maybe that guys start, because you look at like the San Francisco 49ers, for instance, a team that's much more run heavy. Now they don't have just one running back, but, you know, I'm, I'm talking obviously Ohio State has two running backs who could be, decently high if not very high draft picks next year do you, do you see any shift there with with some success of some teams running the ball more because defenses are sitting back to defend the pass running the ball has picked up in the nfl the last two years i i don't patrick i really don't and uh,
2: you know I, I go back to the the valuation of the positions and maybe it did feel like that maybe the numbers would even show that that there was a tiny little blip of a shift where we're running the football popped up a little bit more the last year or two in the NFL but in terms of what the pay is you are now starting to see the top end wide receivers garner 30 million dollars a year which is unheard of i mean you you fast you rewind 7 10 years quarterbacks We're dreaming of that kind of value. Now they're up at 50, which is nuts. And wide receivers are up at $30 million. Then you've got your edge rushers. Then you've got your offensive tackles. Then you've got your defensive tackles. Your corners and then all the way down, and r- running backs are down. Like, I think the, the average of the top 10 of the position, we're getting like a little north of 12 and a half bucks. And that's if you check the numbers last year, like last April, right around draft time. So that's maybe bumped up a little bit, but so has everything else. And, you know, two running backs got taken in the first round, you know, and they were really freaking good looking college running backs where I think in the past you would have said, like, if this were the 1980s or something, you would have been looking at Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs type guys and saying top five, top ten, like, with what they can do. And guys with versatility, too. So yeah. I, I struggle to see it. And, again, like, I, if I play the GM game, if I am pretending to be one, if I'm like the Cincinnati Bengals and I could take a Chase Brown type dude in the middle of the draft and I can use these guys, if I build my offensive line – and I have a quarterback that's got some mobility and guys to distribute the ball to. I need a running back who's just good enough. I need a guy that comes in that will work hard. And I don't know how in the hell we're getting these, these tremendous athletes to play the position at the youth football level anymore with way the way it trends. Because it's just, it's not fair. I mean, it's a hard job to do, but life isn't fair, right? I mean, you get hurt more. A lot is asked of you. It's, it's way unfair. With what running backs are asked to do. They're vitally important at the college football level. Everyone needs good ones, but you've got to be that Saquon Barkley good type guy to be even considered close to a first-round draft choice anymore. Maybe this changes going forward, but it's why I I don't know that the, the one mock I saw that had Travion Henderson a first rounder. But if I were a betting man, I would probably say no. A, because he has to have a bounce back year, and B, because he's a running back, you know, so it, it's that. So I I don't know if I do see the game going back the other way. It's like how we want to see Shaq type of centers in the NBA for those of us that grew up in the nineties, you know, give us our our Shaqs and our Patrick Ewings and our Alonzo mornings and those guys, but no, the game just seems to keep going farther, farther away from the, from the basket.
1: Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, to your point, 18 running backs were selected in the draft, which was basically middle of the road when you break it down by position. And that's, you know, offensive guards, offensive t- all that. So it wasn't a huge draft, but I did think it was interesting that two of them went in the first round. All right. The last thing I want to ask you about, and then I'll get you out of here. Uh, the Cleveland Browns decided this year that they were going to pay attention to what was happening at that school, you know, two hours South of there. Um, that's right. Not only did they draft two Ohio state players, but, They also then signed both. uh, What was it, Ronnie Hickman and Tanner McAllister? After the draft, what what do you make of the Cleveland Browns deciding that uh, you know this this massive college program within their state is finally a school they should pay attention to when they get to the to draft weekend? Yeah, it makes sense, right, Patrick? I mean, it's not like years
2: though. It's not like uh, you know the Cincinnati Bengals have picked up on this, and just because this was a year where they didn't, you know, nab any Buckeyes. You still look at, not not to avoid, I'll I'll get back to the Browns, but like just mentioning Cincinnati, they, they stuck with, I think some familiarity in that you look at where they're located. You look at maybe what a lot of the people who are in that organization, what they grew up with and where they were from. And we we could talk about bias and and we're actually going to talk a little bit about bias with the, previous quarterback play at Ohio state and how that does affect the draft. So if people want to tune in tonight at six, you know, Devere will be on the show with us. We're going to go down that road. But I think the Bengals took like all big 10 guys and it was, it was big 10. And then like either another team, did they take some Georgia dudes at, uh, at, at Cincinnati, either way. I I do think there's something there where the Browns, you know, they've got familiarity with the coaching staff here. It's an in-state school. You're always thinking about it people in your town are always talking about Buckeye football. So I think it's impossible to not have a no. little bit extra there. When a guy comes up on your board and maybe you're looking for a tipping point, well, I probably know a couple of more bullet point things about Dewan Jones or about Luke Whippler than sure. say some guy who plays in the PAC 12 or some guy who plays in the ACC, because anytime I get around, you know, any kind of local bar or restaurant or if i'm home on saturday i pop on my youtube tv it's likely telling me i should you know pop into this ohio state football game yeah. so i just think the fact that they're an in-state nfl team it's got to give a, a little bit extra to to the ohio state products here and it, it worked out for the offensive lineman. and i think that's a, a good spot for for dewan and luke Whippler to go if dewan has kind of slacked off a little bit in this pre-draft process. I know the Pittsburgh Steelers, there was a report there saying that they kind of questioned his desire to, to be dominant, to be great. So, Hey, you're, you're in another AFC North program. Now that's a big rival of theirs.
1: So go out there and show it, man, big Thanos, go out there and prove it. There you go. And I forgot to ask you, I felt this is important. CJ Stroud, the talk before the draft was all about where he was going to go. If he was going to fall, he turns out goes number two overall. What do you like? What do you dislike about him in Houston?
2: Well, obviously we we like that, you know, CJ did beat back some of that Ohio State quarterback bias. And so there's one piece of proof and evidence right there. Just the fact that he was taken second overall, that it's about you, right? It's not about what past players at your university did that has absolutely nothing to do with maybe what system you're in in this present day and age and how you play, how you throw the ball, what your mechanics are. So that was cool to see with all the, the bullshit that was going on for more than a month that you got to sort of hold off on that and rewind and go back to more at the beginning of the draft process, kind of right around the combine. And then you hit this point almost like in bowl season where – you're just practicing, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting to play that next game. You know, you have like an extra off season in the middle of the season. You're like, this feels weird. I want to play football right now. Uh, you know, the bye week is long enough, and we're waiting a month, five weeks to play that next game. It's almost a little like that. So it was great. It was great for CJ. It was cool to see uh, him and Bryce Young, who have, you know, of course, were friends growing up, and. You know, good buddies on the recruiting circuits and they were really you know happy for each other going one two back to back in the draft and to see him get a defensive stalwart taken right next to him so you kind of got cj there as the guy to revamp that houston offense and will anderson jr who everybody thought they were going to take the key bama edge rusher linebacker to rebuild that houston defense a new head coach in town a lot of it just feels new it feels like there's a the real chance to build something. And if it happens, we know that CJ Stroud will have hit a home run and he will be that guy. I'm not a hundred percent sure that's going to happen. I'm about 60% sure that CJ is going to be that guy. I'm really rooting for him because I want to see it happen too, man. I want to see a Buckeye quarterback, leave this program, have the, have some success under Ryan day, take it to the NFL and prove that it can work at any level of football, the way it's done here the way that position is played at Ohio state nowadays.
1: Yeah, I agree. It would be good for everybody. Um, all right, Tim, I know you got stuff to do over there at the fan. Thanks buddy. Good luck on the show tonight. I will be listening for you and Devere to your little preview there. It's got me not that I don't just listen every night. Cause I, yeah, you better Pat. Come on. <clears throat> Give and take. Yep. Yep. For sure. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you later this week, man. All right. Go bucks, everybody. See ya. Yeah, I think Tim makes a good point there about, about CJ. Look, the the stigma around Ohio State quarterbacks, whatever you want to call it, somebody's got to to go out there and prove it wrong. Um, and I think CJ has as good of a chance as anybody. I still think Justin Fields, look, if you look ahead, and, and I wrote about this leading into the draft, if you were to look back, excuse me, and look at Josh Allen's first couple of years in the NFL, jalen hurts first couple of years in the nfl you know to judge these quarterbacks to judge any player but quarterbacks especially by what they do their first couple of years is they're adjusting to the nfl i mean we're talking about two guys especially in in terms of josh allen um that you know have been very good now i will say i mean jalen hurts needs to do it again this year because it was just last offseason when they were talking about, okay, do you move on from him? Um, and you know, they started loading up on draft picks, and you know, so he's got. To win, but he did play in a Super Bowl and almost win one. So I think there's there's still time for Justin Fields. I think CJ Stroud. They've got to uh, to get some weapons around him down there in Houston. But I do think going number two overall, you're, you're going to make some investments. I would imagine in him. Uh, I want to answer some questions here real quick um, th- that we had. There are only a few today. Uh, Clever Antwitty, I believe is An- An- witty um, asks, so when is the defensive recruiting going to pick up two recruits on defense? That is correct as it stands right now uh, in the 2024 class. But there are a number of kids that uh, Ohio State continues to be involved with on defense. Um, I was pulling up the list here, trying to pull up the list here. Things are going slow, but um, you've got a couple of the Glenville guys still out there, I believe. Um, look, the the as I mentioned earlier, the focus on defensive recruiting has finally started to pick up, um, and I think that is a product of Ryan. Well, I mean, it's it's apparent to everybody who's watched the games, right? That that the it hasn't been there, and and they've changed the coaching staff. And they've, you know, moved, uh, moved on from certain guys, things like that, in order to be better defensively. Now you've got to get the the guys in there. Um, and I, like I said before, you go back to the the 2022 class: CJ Hicks, so, uh, Sonny Styles, uh, I think it was Kenyatta Jackson and Amory Abor. Those are guys who haven't really had the chance to get on the field yet. That I think can be difference makers on defense. I think that plus you've got to see it if you're a recruit, right? You're not just going to come to Ohio State to play defense because what Ohio State was doing in 2019 has a whole different coaching staff uh, on the defensive side, things like that. So Jim Knowles' defense has to continue to produce these guys after a year now in the program. They've established relationships, things like that. I think you're starting to see that happen. Um, but yeah, there will be, I think there will be a, you know, we've seen it with, you know, running backs recently. We saw, we usually see it with receivers. There'll be a run on defensive commitments um, for Ohio state here. And, you know, it's, they've just got to keep, keep hammering it because like I said, previously, when you go back and look at what was happening under urban Meyer every year, if you go to the two, four, seven sports recruiting page and just go from like 2014, 2012, even all the way through every year at the top of that list, top defensive recruits. You're talking uh, Noah Spence, Raquan McMillan. Um, you know, I, I was looking at earlier, I can't remember all the guys, but a number of guys, you know, the Bosa brothers, Chase Young. Um, and you're starting to see that. You saw it with JT Tuumalao, Jack Sawyer, and then the guys I just mentioned, CJ Hicks and that crew. So you're starting to see it. I think I think they're moving in the right direction, but you're right. It's And we're only in May for for the 2024 class a lot is going to change between now and december now and february with the early signing day or the uh the national signing day so there's a lot of time to, to continue to bring in some of those top recruits and and they're working man they're definitely working uh sue asked is master teague still on the steelers practice squad i looked he is listed on their roster uh i know he had he dealt with some injuries there And that kind of affected him. I still think he's a guy who can do some things in the NFL. I don't know if he's a guy you're going to see a lot on Sundays, but I do think he can, he can at the very least, like, like Sue said, be on a practice squad. He's a, he's a hard worker. He'll do whatever you ask from him. He's one of my favorite guys to cover at Ohio state. Um, And then Sue mentioned and asked when we were talking about CJ Stroud, who's the OC in Houston. His name is Tim Kelly. He is, Thirty-six years old, so he's young, but he's been around a little bit. Started off in the college game, uh, Illinois Wesleyan, Minnesota State, Moorhead, Ball State, and then Penn State before jumping to the NFL. He was a graduate assistant at Penn State. Was with the Texans, has been with the Texans since then, kind of working his way up. Um, actually, I take that back. He is now with the Tennessee Titans. So my Google search did me wrong. Uh, let's let me see. Oh, Bobby Sl- Slowski. I'd have, I'm going to have to look this one up real quick. Um, he's not a name that come I know off the top of my head. Um, I think that when we're talking about CJ, Bobby, Bobby Slowski is also young, 35, began with the Washington Redskins as a defensive assistant, and then uh, he was with the 49ers for the last – Three or four years, four years um, working on the offensive side. So, not a bad system to come from if you are uh, if you are an offensive coordinator. the The thing with CJ is you need this to be a long career, right? So you need to get from from point A to point B and point B to point C and contract one to contract two and all that. So you know, Houston has not been a program that has been great recently. Obviously, um, otherwise they wouldn't be picking number two overall. So there's certainly work to be done there. And I, I don't know if CJ goes out and lights the world on fire this first year. Like I said, I think you need to give these guys time. But they, uh, they he has time, um, and they've committed to him with that number two pick. So I, I like where he stands there. Um, we're going to wrap it up. If you missed anything from the show, if you're listening to this live, this will all be available on the podcast. It will be available on our YouTube page. Uh, we had Bud Elliott, one of our national recruiting analysts, on uh, to talk about kind of the, the way that 247 Sports sets up our recruiting rankings to kind of correlate with the NFL draft and the success that we've had as a overall network. Uh, pretty cool stuff, I thought, from him, kind of explaining the ins and outs of all that. Um, and then we talked draft with the Buckeyes, with Timmy Hall. I mentioned uh, a piece I just put up about how, as we were just talking about with the defense, how that needs to start picking up in the draft to get back to where the Buckeyes were with their numbers. If you want to go read that piece, it is already up on two four on the Bucknuts site on two, four, seven sports. It's going to be big. That's, that's gotta be the direction Ohio state goes. If you want to get further than, you know, losing to Georgia, struggling against Michigan, it's got to get back to being a balanced. Like I said, Georgia had 10 guys picked five on offense, five on defense. That's a good way to do it. If, uh, If I'm reading the room right, and I think I am. So thank you guys for tuning in again this week. I thought it was another good show. Plan is to be back next week. We'll we'll, we'll have to come up with some topics. We're getting into like the real off season here. So, but we'll be back. Uh, Stay tuned. If you are not already, please like subscribe on any of the podcast networks, especially on our YouTube page, get all of our YouTube content. If you want to know more about the recruiting stuff, some of the stuff Bud Elliott was talking about earlier, you can find that by becoming a 247 Sports and Buck Nuts VIP subscriber. And, um, yeah, all that stuff helps us. So I appreciate everyone tuning in today. And uh, we'll see you next week, Buckeye fans. Cheers.